This is Richard Sachs. I'm your host on Lost Arts Radio. Thanks for coming back and being with us again. I appreciate it. Hope you're having a good week. And tonight we have a a friend of ours back at Lost Arts Radio that's been here quite a bit. Uh, Somebody I really enjoy talking to. His name is Dr. Bill Warner. And I originally got the privilege of meeting Bill, uh, Dr. Warner, because I was really wanting to know ever since really ever since 9/11 especially what's going on with the belief system called Islam and i knew that a couple of things were happening in the outside world regarding it one was that the us government and other allies were being used to go into the middle east and start bombing and and invading and occupying and this was decided long before 9/11 it was all preplanned which is a long story, but so that was going on, and it was supposedly to fight terrorism, and um, it's an interesting thing to to fight a quality like that or a type of action, especially before any of it happens. And and what happened in nine eleven was really different than the public was told. So that was going on, and that brought the focus into the Middle East populations. The other thing that started happening was a lot increasing number of uh, terror attacks, and there was a connection, and they were religious terror attacks very clearly, and we'll get into why that was at, at some point. But um, that went together very easily because in the scriptures of Islam, it explains why you do things like what we call terror attacks and how that fits into a, a larger worldview and how to please God and things like that. So I needed to understand that. I had tried to read the Quran. I wasn't even aware that there were three scriptures in Islam that are primary, not just the Quran. And I was having trouble because the timeline was all scrambled in the Quran and other things like that. And so I, somebody told me, I don't remember whom, uh, about the books of Dr. Warner, who had done a research project to actually put all this in a form that led directly to the quotes from the scriptures and explained how things fit together with the life of Muhammad. But it became clear that a central part of the understanding that was needed was about Muhammad as a person and the life that he lived and the history of it and the timeline and the real sequence of events and how that correlated with the growth of the belief system that he started. And Dr. Warner wrote a series of books, which I really recommend to everybody, that are available on his website, politicalislam.com. And those make the scriptures of Islam accessible and understandable for anybody that wants to find out. So there's a new book that's come out that I wanted to talk about, and I was hoping Dr. Warner would come back on the show to do that. It's called Measuring Muhammad. We're going to talk about that in Connected Issues tonight. So 
Welcome, Dr. Warner, and thanks for the time. I greatly appreciate it. It's nice Glad to, to be here. So for people that haven't heard all the other shows that we've done with you, because I want to bring them into the discussion and not leave anybody out, um, just briefly, I think it might be worth mentioning how you even got involved in this, because you weren't um, a scholar in Islam to start with. You were already a scientist, but a different kind. So what happened and what did that lead to? And then we'll talk about <clears throat> what's going on now and what you're, what you're doing in the new book. Well, my study with Islam started when I was 30 years old, and I'm <clears throat> now 80 years old. So that was 50 years ago. Okay. And I was interested in Islamic mysticism, the Sufis. And so I studied that for about a short year. But I began to realize that I was not being told the whole story. I didn't know what was missing, but I knew I wasn't getting the whole story. So I drifted away from that. Then later I became a professor at a state university that had many Muslims going there. And I'm a very casual person when it comes to how I teach. And so I encourage people to stop by the office. And I had Muslims stop by my office. They wanted to either do student stuff or some of them wanted to convert me to Islam. Mm. So that I found this very interesting. Now, part of what I believe is, is that if you want to really understand somebody, you need to understand their civilization and their religion. So I read the Quran a little bit here and there, but I decided I was going to sit down and read the whole thing. It took me a while to do it. But when I got to, I said, mm, we haven't <laughs> seen the whole picture yet. And so I read a biography of Muhammad. As a consequence of reading the playbook of Islam, basically on September 11, 2001, my phone began to ring off the wall with people calling me and saying, you said something was going to happen. How did you know? I read the playbook. And I had. I didn't say it was going to be on September 11, 2001, but I sent, told friends of mine, I said, we're going to get whacked and it's going to be bad. So I sounded like a genius when all that happened was I just simply read the rules of the game. So I realized that I needed to make the doctrine of Islam easy to understand because most people think that Islam is a religion based on the Quran. And it's far more than a religion. It's an entire world system. And it's, you have something more than the Quran. Because if you read the Quran and you carefully, carefully and you know what Islam is, you realize that there's not enough in the Quran to practice the religion or whole practice of all of Islam. So there are 89 verses in the Quran which say that every human being is to model their life after Muhammad. So where do we get Muhammad? We get Muhammad from the Sirah, his biography, and we get, the, we get Muhammad from the Hadith, which are little short stories about Muhammad. Let me just ask, interject there that you said when you read the Quran, you said, hmm, this isn't the whole picture. Right. Is, that, is that the reason? Yes. I realized there were things missing. Also, <clears throat> I was struck by many things. The endless repetition. And also, the other thing I was struck with was that most of the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith, which actually forms the Bible of Islam, is that it wasn't enough there to, to practice Islam. But there were 89 verses which said that everybody's supposed to follow Muhammad. So those 89 verses lead us to the Sirah and to the Quran. Now, what's important about this is, is that there's more in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith written about the Kafir, the non-Muslim, than there is about the Muslim. This is very strange. But anyway, this was how I started out in my study. And what I wanted to make do was to make the doctrine of Islam easy for anyone to understand. 
so that you can, I like to say my students study Dr. Muhammad and Professor Allah. So anyway, that's what I do. I teach people what, how to read and understand Islam. Say that, to, say that over again. I was trying to absorb. Your students do two things. What were those? Learn from two people, Dr. Muhammad and Professor Allah. Sort of okay, a small got joke. It. Got it. But if you say anything about Islam and it doesn't, isn't supported by Muhammad or Allah, then it doesn't count. Okay. It doesn't count because it's just speculation, basically? Yes, it's, it's opinion. Okay. I teach the facts of Islam, not the opinion. Okay. I want to, matter of fact, my method of teaching is I never condemn Muslims. I only talk about the doctrine of Islam. And I never condemn the doctrine. I just say, here's what it is. Right. So you're not really criticizing. You're just, nope. report, you're just reporting, kind of. Yep. When I was young, there was a, a television program <laughs> called Dragnet. And then it. I watched it. You did? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sergeant Friday's famous remark Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Exactly. I, I don't quite remember the music to it, but I remember dun, the. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do remember the black and white TV picture, though. Yes. So, anyway, I teach just the facts. Okay. All right. So, how did that affect you to learn the facts? I mean, that took a while, right? It took a while, but it was also pleasant work. I'm an intellectual, and so I spent five years making the doctrine of Islam easy to understand so that you could read a Quran and get the entire idea that comes from the Quran. So you could read the Sirah, the life of Muhammad, his biography, and also his Hadith, which are little traditions that they have about him. So I make all of these available, and that's all I do. There are two people in this town that want everybody to know who Muhammad was, the Imam and me. Neat. So, unpaid position. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully he appreciates it very much. So, Actually, I've heard they don't. They, they don't. I, I would think that a full-time unpaid worker would be appreciated. Well, the full-time worker has the ability to tell the whole story. Yeah. And when Muslims talk about Islam, they never tell you the whole story. They tell you about the piece they want you to hear. Why would they not want you to hear the whole story of their own belief? Well, because, well, let's take the existence of Muhammad and the Jews. When Muhammad went from Mecca to Medina, and by the way, let me give a brief history of Muhammad's life. Yeah. After he became a prophet of Allah, he started preaching the religion of Islam and preached this for 13 years in Mecca and converted only 150 people. That's about 10 a year. So they drove him out of town because he caused pain and discord, discord. And then he went to Medina. When he went to Medina, it was half Jewish. Two years later, it was Judenrein, cleansed of Jews. So this is a story that most uh, Muslims don't want to tell a beginner. Now, once you've been in, they say it's a system of gradual revelation. So you start off with the easy and then work your way up to the hard. And so I tell both the easy and the hard at the same time. That as I talk about, it is true that Muhammad was the religion of peace, but it is also true he was a jihadist. So these two so, things contradict each other, but this is inherent within Islam. That was the other thing. As a scientist, I realized that as a scientist, what you want to do is you eliminate contradictions. But Islam does not eliminate the contradictions, just supports both of them. That is, Islam is jihad, and Islam is the religion of peace. It's both of those things. 
So you need to see the whole picture, not just part of it. Well, as a scientist, you could eliminate the conflict between those two things by showing that they're in sequence, right? That's what happens. But I want you to know everything about it. Because many people have met a nice Muslim at work, and he tells them that Islam is the religion of peace, and they go, oh, good, because I didn't want it to be the religion of jihad. And so Islam has convinced us several things that are wrong. One, that only a Muslim can understand Islam. Uh, and you have to understand Arabic to, to uh, understand Islam. But these right. things are not true. So you said that Muhammad started out in Mecca and then went to Medina for the second part. Yes. But you mentioned that in Mecca, there was some kind of conflict being caused. You didn't say what that was. Verbal. Like what? That is, once you, once you became a Muslim, <laughs> you were now an enemy of your parents. Because they're not Muslim. Okay. So, in other words, condemnation of people that didn't agree with the belief system. Yes. At first, there was no condemnation. He just had a mm-hmm. religion. Well, Islam, there were 300, in Mecca, there were 350 kinds of religions. So, a 351st, people go, fine, all right, one more religion, put him over there. But what happened was, is that not only was Islam better, it was the only true and that if you didn't believe that, you could be harmed. There are only two new truths in the mm, Quran. Mm. One is Muhammad is a prophet of Allah, and the other truth is if you don't believe that, you can be harmed. Jihad. Okay, so it's kind of like what they teach um, people in the airline industry. If you're in the, ca- in, the, in the cabin with the pilot, the first rule is that the pilot is always right. And the second rule is if the pilot's wrong, see rule number one. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, got it. And so you said for five years it took you that long to put all this together, right? Yes. It was did a major. That in- did that include writing the first books that you wrote? Yes. I wrote okay. a simple Quran, which is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. I wrote a Life of Muhammad which was called Muhammad and the Unbelievers. Uh-huh. And then I wrote a book, The Political Traditions of Muhammad, which talked about the Hadith. Okay, and you've got, I think there were about six or seven of those books yes. all together, right? What I did was, I discovered that, although I had a r- real love of Islam, that is the doctrine, because I found it interesting to fool around with, yeah. that most people don't want to read much about it. And so what happened was, I was down at the state legislature here in Tennessee, talking about Sharia law because of the bill they were coming up would allow it to happen. Yeah. And so I found that what I wanted to do was they didn't know they knew nothing about Sharia. So I took went took some time off and in 6 weeks time wrote Sharia law for non-Muslims. What happened was is that it became very popular. And so I realized people wanted to read would read little bitty books but they didn't want to read big books. Yeah. So I went back and did some things like writing uh uh, a small hadith instead of a large, uh, a two-hour Quran instead of the simple Quran. So did all of these things that so it would make people could buy little books. For instance, the doctrine of slavery, the Islamic doctrine of Christians and Jews. Okay, yeah, and I I would personally say I've read all of those and they're great, and and I appreciate the simplicity and and the accuracy together. Because they're not made simple by leaving out critical parts. No, we include all the critical parts. Yeah, yeah, they're really good, and they all 
refer specifically as their source to the scriptural references. They're if there's not, anything in my books you say that can't be true, there's an index number that goes with it that allows you to look it up yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, they should do that with all subjects. So you've got some more work to do, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you don't mind. Um, okay, so how come you wanted to write a big book about measuring Muhammad? Well, what happened was, is I wrote newsletters. I put out a new newsletter every week, and I did that for some time, and then I made an accidental video. While I was giving a talk, somebody came by and said, do you mind if I video your talk? And I said, sure. And then they said, do you mind if I put it on YouTube? I said, sure, thinking nobody will ever watch a 45-minute video about Islamic history. Mm -hmm. It sold about 10, it got about 10 million views. Wow. And so I went, wait a minute. I did one an accidental video and I contacted 10 million people. I write a newsletter and I contact 30,000. Right. So I decided to start making little videos as well. So how, how did that lead to writing Measuring Muhammad? Because before I did videos, I'd been writing newsletters. Mm-hmm. And so one day I needed to look up some facts. I said, wait a minute, I wrote about that in the newsletter. So I went to the newsletter and I read it and I said, you know, this is pretty good. Because I just stopped writing newsletters. And so I thought, these are really good. So I did the, what every scholar's done and wrote a lot of essays. I put them all in one book. Okay, so it's a compilation of the newsletters. Right. But then people have to be willing to read a book, right, that's not really short. Ah, but the chapters are typically two or three pages long. Okay, good. In other words, the length of one newsletter? Yeah, accidentally, <laughs> yes. Okay, that's great. So how is it organized? Just by chronological order? No, I thought about doing that, but mostly there's large subject areas. Now, each uh, newsletter, which is now a chapter in the book, has its uh, category built into it and also the date it was written. Okay, okay. And then is there an index or something to look up the subject that you want or... Well, the table of contents does this very well since the subject... I mean, some of these are only one page long. Okay, yeah, the whole book is pretty long, isn't it? Like 500 pages or something? I think it's 380, but I'm not sure. 380, okay. But like I say, it's actually, it's easy to read because the, cha- the chapters are so short. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so right now, I know <laughs> you're probably aware from our other conversation that the outlook that I usually take on a lot of the Lost Arts Radio stuff is bigger picture, you know, and I see what's happened with the invasions of the Middle East and the jihad actions and, you know, the, the mass rapes in Scandinavia and all the different things that have happened as part of a, a larger picture. And now we've got everything being looked at in the current world situation in reference to this what I think is a giant attack from the ultimate bosses in the form of the fake pandemic. Do you see any relation between that and the issue of what's going on with Islam? There's a certain willingness to be subjugated. I think that common to both of them. Okay. Okay, yeah. Well, we have to wear the uh, self-suffocation devices now that are symbols of submission, right, in most of our countries. As an, as an engineer scientist, the whole idea that these crappy little masks they want us to wear would do anything is 
absurd. I wouldn't let you wear one of these masks in my wood shop because it doesn't do a good enough job of air filtration. Yeah, in fact, there was a, speaking of, I don't know if it was YouTube or I think it was a website of somebody, they had a demonstration of a drywall uh, installer who wore a mask, and it was, even with the drywall particles, which are gigantic things compared to viruses, they had basically had a Venturi effect where the openings on the sides of the mask put them all right under the nostrils so that you could breathe them in more efficiently. Right. That's with things that are big, but with small particles, uh, what I've heard is it's basically like trying to, you have a mosquito problem and you build a chain link fence to solve it. About like that. Right, roughly. So, but I noticed once the um, real attack through the pandemic started happening and being told you couldn't go out of your house and you have to wear a mask or now two or three masks are really much more responsible than one and soon you have to get a vaccine that's already killing people all over the world in fact more people have died from it than from 9-11 in the in the u.s already and the news forgot to mention that that news about jihadi things has kind of taken a backseat at the moment is that because the activity is going down or just because they're not interested? There seems to be, we have a hierarchy of needs and a hierarchy of what we like to hear about. And after 9-11, everyone wanted to know about Islam. Right. But now then, people are more worried about more. I mean, right now, the quote, end quote, pandemic is more important to them than Islam. So therefore, when the Boulder, Colorado shooter popped up, what does it take from the media? Oh, it's another white guy. Yeah, that was, white a white, that was a white supremacy attack white, from what I heard, right? Right, it was a white supremacy attack. Well, then we find out that he has, he's from Syria and has an Arabic or Muslim name, and it's like, whoops. And so all of a sudden, in the media, this just begins to disappear. Yeah. What a, attack? What attack? Right. Right. And, I didn't just, see no stinking attack. And just to make sure there's no more attacks like that, the new administration has started the bombing again in Syria. How long have we been in Afghanistan? That's the longest occupation and war in U.S. history. Um, I don't know. Trump was actually trying to withdraw people from Afghanistan, and both parties were viciously attacking because of that. So this is a terrible idea. We need to be there forever. Let me tell you something. General Stanley McChrystal, who was chief of operations in Afghanistan under Obama, wrote a paper on victory in Afghanistan. I read this paper. It was lengthy, and it was redacted. That is, all names, dates, and places were covered up. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. As an old man, I can tell you sometimes what's most interesting is what you don't see, not what you see. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what you don't see in in General Stanley McChrystal's paper for victory in Afghanistan? The following three words do not occur even once. Islam, jihad, Muslim. What about opium poppies? Nope, didn't mention them either. Actually, I think there was some allusion to them. Okay. But there was nothing about Islam. So reading the man who's in charge of the war, he cannot answer the question, who is the enemy? Well, if you can't answer who the question who's the enemy, how are you going to defeat him? Is it because he didn't know or he didn't feel like talking about it? 
the ignorance has become quite official. One of my students is a retired FBI agent. Mm-hmm. He was talking to some agents who were young and still in the force. Yeah. He said, how would you like to learn something about political Islam? And they said, no, we don't want to know anything about Islam. He says, well, why not? They said, if we say anything about Islam, we'll get in trouble. Well, you definitely show yourself to be a racist for one thing, right? If you mention that. Well, there is that, but I'm also a hater, a bigot, and an Islamophobe. How did you get certified in all those areas? What happened with that? Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay. Who knows everything? So, I guess they weren't really interested in having an open discussion with you and learning about the details. (laughs) (laughs) Richard, make funny ha-ha. Yeah, thanks. Um, What do you think their motive is? Follow the money. It's a big business, right? Well, for instance, they're the consultants to all the big uh, Silicon Valley companies. If Twitter wants to know if somebody's a racist, they check with the Southern Poverty Law Center. That's what they sell is hate. Yeah, it's interesting because they're supposed to be stamping out hate for the, you know, future of mankind or something like that. They generate more than anybody else. Very strange. I guess because if you don't gener- if if you don't find enough hate in the outside world in a natural state, you have to make your own, right? Well, otherwise, otherwise, you don't have a function. Right. Interesting. Um, so, the basic idea that you brought out was in all your books, and certainly in the compilation that is in the new book who Muhammad was, at least according to the documents that we've got, and what kind of belief system he came up with. So, after all that time and years spent on it, how could you, what would you say is the short form of what you found? About Muhammad? Muhammad, and then about the belief system that he came up with. Well, he came up with... I call I flatter Muhammad by saying he's the greatest warrior who ever lived because no one today dies from Napoleon or Alexander the Great, but somebody died today because of Muhammad. He invented an entirely new form of war, civilizational war. I mean, he made everything about being in anywhere, any civilization, subject to that of the Sharia. And Islam has a comment to make about any subject you want to bring up. It is not a religion. It is a complete way of life. And so what's Muhammad the, what's, created what's, what's the difference between a religion and a way of life? Well, for instance, I told you when I started studying the Islamic doctrine, I found that it was more about me than how to be a Muslim. So I call that political Islam because it's certainly not, I'm not part of the religion of Islam. I don't make any value judgments about Islam, good, bad, or indifferent in terms of the religion. I simply don't care if you pray five times a day or never pray at all. I, what do I care? So I'm only interested in the part of Islam that affects me, which I call political Islam. Which is the three-dimensional action in relation to people outside the religion. Yes. Basically. Okay. Let me give you a subtle example. In in America today, we're beginning to see what they do a lot in Europe. On Friday, for the Friday prayers, (laughs) prayers, they'll commandeer the street and then put down their prayer mats and pray in the middle of the street and on the sidewalks. Well... You say, well, they have to do that. They have to pray five times a day, and the prayers on Friday are the most important. The praying is religious. Commandeering the street is political. What if God says you have to commandeer the street? 
Well, now we're getting into the fact that you're commandeering in the street. Let's take another example. Let's say wife beating. Because wife beating is, is tolerated in Surah 4 of the Quran. Surah 4, verse 34. You can beat your wife if she has a bad attitude. Right. But when you beat your wife in America, you're violating our laws. So the question is, whose laws trump? Is it the Sharia laws or our laws? I stand for our laws. I don't. I, I oppose Sharia. So the the thing about Islam or any religion is that if God is the one who wrote the scriptures and told you to do all this stuff, then if you belong to the religion, your job is to obey God, right? Yep. So there's a potential conflict there. There's not a potential conflict. There's a major conflict. Here's another thing, which is an even bigger conflict. We're now a Muslim is coming up on to set as a judge on the federal bench. As a Muslim, he must hold the Sharia in higher esteem than he does the Quran, than he does the Constitution, because ours is just man-made Constitution. The Sharia is God-made. Right. So why here we are? We have a man who's going to be sitting on the federal bench who does not believe in the truth of the Constitution. He believes instead that it's a Sharia. Now, will he talk about this in public? But more important, Richard, will he, in the caring for it to, about his judgeship, be asked any questions about Sharia? And he will not. Here's the deal. Islam is determined to win, and we're determined to tie. Our motto is, we're nice under all circumstances. Right. Courage, so forget they, about it. How do they treat that issue with judges have they set a pattern with other religions that they do? Because a lot of people have religions. And this is what, true. Do they interview them about that? But do they, do they interview them about the Sharia, which holds itself to be above the Constitution? Right. But, I mean, other religions, they don't result in, in jihad. No. Uh, in, but, but they do have beliefs. For ex let me give you an example, and I'm just wondering if this applies at all. In some countries right now, like Canada, you've heard of that, it's up north, and other countries around here and in Europe, they're saying that churches, which are primarily Christian, have to shut down because they just do, because it's not healthy anymore to be in a church with more than a few people and especially if you sing you're likely to kill everybody because of COVID and they haven't proven that yet from a scientific point of view but they're saying that you just have to accept that because they it's not a law but they just say so and so some pastors that we've been uh, hearing on video have saying well God says that we have to go to church and even if it's illegal according to your dictates and we're going to now they're not hurting anybody but but they are saying that we have to do this because god's law trumps yours what's the difference between that and commandeering the street on this issue i'll agree they have a lot of similarity <clears throat> the thing about it is is that christianity makes very few demands on the government whereas right. islam makes demands on here's how they educate when you read a book textbook in the united states the story about islam is approved by muslims and when it's about Christianity, it's not approved. So Islam demands full control of all aspects of our life. Now, they come at it a step at a time. It's a gradual process. Right. Slowly, things become more and more Islamicized. How, what about the fact that uh, this is not in conflict with that? It's just another interesting related question. I have a lot of friends that are 
great people and they were born as Muslims and they still are nominally anyway, but they, they're not interested in following jihad and, you know, killing non, non-Muslims and things like that. And then there are others uh, that have come from certain countries, especially where they're real serious about it. And they believe that they have to eliminate every system except Islam as a, as a um, political system. What's the difference between those two groups, and why are they not homogenous? Well, there are, if you will, two Islams. There's the Quran, there's the Mecca Islam and the Medina Islam. What we have is how devout is the person, that is, how much of the doctrine do they practice? Because yeah. most people don't want to go out and kill anybody. But the fact is, the laws are there, and so they can be done if necessary. So what we also find is that sometimes we have people who see moderate Islam, and then all of a sudden, they, some process, which has been said, uh, sudden jihad syndrome. I was the nicest guy. He went to church. He went, went to the mosque all the time. He was very pleasant. And then one day he wakes up and starts killing people. Well, this is, remember, there's two truths in Islam. How much mm-hmm. of the truth does a person practice? And I, too, have met people who were Muslim and very pleasant. They'd even drink beer. No, no, that's the ultimate criteria or not, but anyway, they will. So they may not, they are not as devout. They do not practice all of the religion. Okay. Only the jihadist practices all of the religion. Right, because the jihad is not an extreme uh, interpretation. It's just a literal interpretation. Precisely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and having read all of the books and... The references to the original scriptures, which I tried to read before, too, and they were very confusing and disjointed. Um, It seems to me there's nothing extreme about jihadism at all. It's just following what's said. Exactly. It's a literal literal interpretation. Yeah. So, you know, my interest is in solutions and not, not just in respect to Islam, but everything that's going on really um, harmful in the world right now. The only reason I think that I could justify the time in learning about it is that hopefully you can take what you learn and, like an engineer would in science, come up with a way to solve the question, solve the problem. Is that possible with Islam in, in your experience or not? In my experience, it is because what I do, if I'm dealing with a Muslim, I want to talk to them about Islam. And by the way, Muslims are fabulously welcome and open to the discussing of Islam. Right. And I ask them questions that deal with the doctrine. And in, in, in the Quran written in Medina, it's, you can torture, you can kill, you can deceive. What would you practice that part of Islam? So I ask them about questions about, is this true that's in the doctrine, and do you practice it? Yeah. And I, what I find is, is that most Muslims know very little about Islam at all. Right, right. As a matter of fact, I know this because when I'll bring up certain points, they'll go, well, that's not, not in Islam. There's the chapter and the verse, it is. It's just you don't want to believe it. Well, most people of all religions have not read their scriptures. I mean, really thoroughly and completely. So well, I've read the scriptures. Uh, I studied Torah for a year and a half in an Orthodox synagogue. I uh, s- studied Islam through the books. 
I've studied Hinduism. I had a Hindu tell me you understand more about the Hindu doctrine than most Hindus. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm well acquainted with the Christian Gospels. I did the same thing. And um, one of the things that, that I find interesting is that even though it says in the Bible that God, maybe he was in a bad mood or something, said, <clears> that, you, said that you should kill people by throwing rocks at them until they're dead if they have the wrong religion. You know, if the Bible's true, then he literally said that. And it was done a lot. But it's not done much now. So nope. why why is it not done now, even though the people believe everything in the Bible is literally right from God? And so it's not a problem. But there's a bunch of people who are taking things like that in the Islamic scriptures and still applying them in action. What's the difference? One of the differences is is that a great deal of what you find, particularly in the Old Testament, is like a history book. It's what happened to whom and when and where. Right. But what happens in the Quran is these are commands to, that are throughout all time. That is, these are eternal commands. Most Jews that I know take oh, stuff I like the, the stoning of the stoning business and go, "That was then. This is now." Yeah. In other words, God changed the policy since that time. Yes. But, <laughs> really but different it, policy. But in Islamic perspective, God never changes the, the policy. Nope. Ever. So, so you said that in your experience, yes, it is possible to smooth these things out. If God never changes the policy, how do you do that? Well, I smooth them out by just asking about all parts of it. I don't speak to people about creation. The only religion I speak to people about is Islam, which is strange since I'm not a Muslim. But it's no, but I mean, within Islam, this problem of people taking, it would be like, like the Jews or certain Christians or people who believe in the Bible taking the stoning instructions from God out and starting to apply them in modern society, which wouldn't be very popular. But if, if a whole bunch of people were doing that, it could be a problem. And I'm saying they seem to have worked it out by not applying that anymore and saying right. well, policies change. So is there a way to do that with Islam? And you sounded like you were saying in your experience there could be and there might be. Well, what I do when I say what I do is just discuss all of the doctrine. But there is no body, body of scholars or body of anything else that can approve any change to the doctrine of Islam. That right. is, you may say that this is bad, we need to not do this. Say, beating your wife because she has a bad attitude. Say, okay. we shouldn't do this. There's no, there's no committee that can be formed that can change that. So how do you do it trying to get across to an individual that it would be better to change the policy for yourself? Well, so far as I'm concerned, it would be best to step away from the policy, period. Right, but have you presented that to people who are following Islam? And, and Oh, yes. What kind of reaction do you get? Well, first off, they're very frustrated in dealing by me because they have a set of standard excuses they want to do, like, well, you don't know Arabic? And I said, so you're telling me that a universal doctrine can under be, be understood except in one language? What's this? Allah doesn't speak anything but Arabic? And the other thing I do is I challenge them this way. I say, you give me anything in Arabic that you want to, and ask me to explain it, and I will be able to do so. It may take me some time, but I will do it, whether it's in the Quran, the Hadith, or the Sirah. So you say that I can't understand it. Prove it to me now by asking me a question I cannot answer. Of course, they don't have any question in mind. This is what they've just been told is an all-purpose defense. Right. 
Right. So when I challenge you, show me now the thing that I cannot understand. What do they do? They sit down and they shut up. This is at a lot of, say, a large public gathering. Because I had many Muslims come to my public gatherings, went back before COVID, and we had meetings. Remember those? I, I've heard about them in the old days, yeah. Yeah, those back in the old days, we did those. Right. And so they come, there'll be half a dozen of them. So they try to ask me questions to trip me up. But I've heard all the questions. That's the reason I wrote a book called Factual Persuasion, because I've heard all the arguments for and against Islam and against people like me. And so here's the standard arguments. So what they think are tough questions is like, I'm a man who's trained in a karate school of all sorts. And so no matter what your form of fighting is, I can still beat you. Uh huh. So what does that mean? I'm, I welcome being challenged was one of the things it means. And I particularly welcome it if you're a Muslim. You know, besides just fighting off the challenge, what about the idea that people should actually get along with each other and have some kind of harmony? Well, they do. But it's just that the, uh, the nice part of Islam does not extend beyond its brothers and sisters who are only Muslim. So where you find the impasse is to try to get people who follow the religion to get along well with people outside it. To show them that their doctrine preaches what it preaches, and they don't actually practice it themselves. And do the, Why do they want to stay in a religion if they don't practice? That is By an the way, interesting question, yeah. It's, it is estimated, Richard, that in the United States, I deal a lot with apostates, that 25% of all, quote, Muslims in the United States are apostates. That is, they don't practice anything about the religion anymore. They don't care anything about it, but they're, they don't want to leave their family and their friends and their community. Right. One thing that Islam has done, you know, within the community that I think benefits the members of it is they generally have really big, the ones that I know anyway, generally have big extended families and circles of friends and you know, communities within the community, and you get a lot of support. And it would be psychologically harder on them to leave that, I think. Islam sees humanity as a group with a family. And so, therefore, if you leave Islam, you leave the group. And you can be killed, by the way. That's one of the rules about being an apostate. Yeah, yeah. Which is inconvenient, to say the least. Yeah, especially if you have projects you haven't finished yet. right. Um, Are you going to finish all your projects, Richard? Uh, not yet, no. Me either. No. I, it keeps you uh, actually having an interest in life not to be done with all that yet. I never plan on retiring. Yeah, me either. I can't really comprehend it. Why would you do that? I can't imagine just to sit around on the couch and watch cartoons or something. I'm not sure. And it's getting more limited what cartoons you could watch anyway. That's SpongeBob true. Most, is being censored now. Most of them, yeah, exactly. I didn't know that about SpongeBob. Just happened. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a real serious situation going on in the world at the moment. Humor is very serious. And yeah. by the way, one of the things you can measure somebody. I don't want to be with anybody who is so serious that they can't laugh at a joke. Because right. I did, because I was determined in living through life that those who have a sense of humor are better people to get along with and easier to live with. They're not so sensitive. They're not so offended. No, I, th- I think um, if, <clears throat> if we ever get toward actually growing up, then, 
we then we don't get offended anymore. I agree with you completely. And yet we see that one of the things that did you know in fourteen hundred years there's never been a Muhammad joke? <clears throat> I heard there were some attempted Muhammad jokes at some of the some attempted Muhammad yes. jokes at some gatherings that had some difficulties. Uh, they had a lot of difficulties, like people got shot. Yeah, stuff like that. But even in real hard situations in life, I think having some humor doesn't make you less able to deal with it. It actually makes you stronger. I believe so, too. Right. And under therapy, when you can finally laugh about your problems, you've got it made. Yeah, exactly. It shows an interchange. So, you know, my, my interest in the whole thing, and after reading all of your books and talking to you and things like that, is that, all right, there's this phenomenon that people get a belief system, and the belief system is based on writings. And the writings say to convert or enslave or kill everybody that doesn't agree with you. There's some kind of innate sense in humans that actually is deeper than that, that says that everybody's on the same team and in the same, you know, condition, and we all have to help each other. So, I'm hoping that there's a way to awaken that memory and perception in people that if they're, you know, they can look at their own belief, no matter what they call it, whether it's Islam or anything else. And if it goes against being human, then being human should win, just like a religion wins over a country. I agree. I guess it's just... uh, Helping people to wake up to that. Sorry. One of the things that's happening, Richard, is as a person who speaks on Islam all the time, it's getting harder and harder to speak on Islam. More and more I'm censored and suppressed. Yeah. So what do you think? Have you thought about the motive of the people that are censoring you? Because they're not all Muslims. Oh, no, 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 no. They're not. As a matter of fact, they're not the ones doing it. The ones doing it are typically progressives. So why, I I mean, I like to try to understand all these things. Where are they coming from and why do they want to do that? Well, you've heard of the woke phenomena? Oh, yeah. Well, everyone wants to be seen as a good person. And now there's a cheap and easy way to have a good person label put on you, and that is to simply repeat what is supposed to be repeated. I know. Don't, Don't bring up difficult problems. I think that displaced what used to be called science. Yes. And, and science, some, by the way, has whored itself out, if I may use so crass a term. Well, it's been replaced by fake science, really. I agree with you, sir. So, as a matter of fact, one of the things that breaks my heart is I have a great belief in the scientific method, and I would love to see it be used instead of suppressed. Yeah. And, but what we have now are scientists, and this started off happening with, quote, climate change. Exactly. We found, we found out that there were... People that had PhDs and professorships who are willing to say anything you want as long as they got the grant. This goes into the whole system. What people try to get through religion is really a sense of overriding morality, including things like you have to tell the truth, you know, um, just because it's true. And if you give that up, whatever religion you say you belong to is almost secondary. It's what you do in life. So science used to be a very highly ethical field where you, honesty... That's the correct and, word, ethical. 
Yeah, I mean, morality can be construed as just what one religion says, but ethical is like doing things to or for other people because you want the best for them, not because you're in competition. Right. You know, it's it's the basis of where the golden rule came out of. Not a particular religion, but more like a law of nature, because everybody's so deeply connected. If we help each other, it comes back on us. Which I, I think agree. I, actually that's a law of nature in itself that whatever we intentionally do to or for anybody else comes back to us. So if you're really selfish in an enlightened manner, you just pour out everything you have to try to help other people. I agree. Right. By the way, it's interesting. There is no golden rule in Islam. Well, what about within the religion? Now, a brother is to treat another brother as he would be treated. That's That's the way it reads. Yeah. It's not, the golden rule applies to everybody. Right, but one one characteristic that that has gone back many thousands of years and probably way beyond is many belief systems set up themselves as the acceptable humans, and people outside the religion are subhuman. So you're not really breaking any laws by mistreating them. (laughs) I'm just interested in solutions, you know, and before you were into studying Islam, which is has been extremely beneficial. I mean, I know that because I've read your books and gotten a lot out of it, changed my whole understanding. But before you got into that, you were into science. Yes. And I would imagine that, I mean, even now and back then too, you're looking at science as the pursuit of whatever is true. Just follow the facts. Yeah, the real facts, not right. policies of somebody. Right. Right, and you quest you question everything, right? Everything's up for grabs. Even what God supposedly said. Yes, that's a big deal. And by the way, there's something interesting that's been happening. Christianity's already been through the mill of justifying itself historically, and then how good are its documents? That is, how faithful are they to the uh, oh. original documents? Okay. This has never happened before with Islam. Archaeology is very cruel to Islam. But what's happening now is historical facts. There are now, if you will, two Muhammads. There is the mythical Muhammad, and I use the term myth here, not in a sense of a derogatory sense, but a myth in the sense of uh, society's greatest truths. Boy, I'm not sure what you mean by that. A myth is society's greatest truths. A myth. Yeah. Right, a myth is, is a belief that's often passed down between generations and gradually evolves in form over time. But right. it also contains truths that are bigger than just a simple statement. Okay, okay. But that does not happen in Islam. It doesn't change. At oh, all. oh be, there's no change over the generations, you mean? No. And that's because it's specifically designed, defined as unchangeable. Exactly. If you if the Quran, for instance, it's perfect, it's universal, and it's, if it's perfect and universal and complete, how are you going to improve it? Any criticism you have of it would violate those terms. Right, right. It's like you, you can't draw a circle with corners on it because of the way the circle is defined. Right. You can't be clever and just put a small corner on it or something like that and say, well, there's a bump. Yeah, then you lose the definition. You lose the definition. And it's the same way with Islam. It is intended to be 
non-destructible or indestructible and so, infinite in time. So science, as opposed to memorization of certain things that can never be improved, which is what you're just talking about. Right. Um, the advantage of science is that, would you say that it, the advantage is that it leads to Harm, harmony within civilization rather than division and fighting? I think that science in its purest form does that. We see that scientists race against each other to discover deeper truths. You know, in a way, it's identical to real spiritual quest, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it, tra- it breaks my heart to see that once, as I said, we've hoarded out as scientists. We'll, we'll, we'll do it for the money now to help yeah. the truth. Well, and if you look at the educational system all the way up through Ph.D. level and medical school, a lot of what used to be looking for the truth is replaced by memorizing acceptable information. The universities, and I love, I love the, the job I best loved I had in my life was being a university professor. I love learning. I love knowledge. And so it is disgusting to me to see how it's being changed now. It becomes an ideology. For instance, yeah, it's actually becoming it. a religion. In yes, a instead of a practical way of going about life. Right, and I guess the the change in definition is that in something about in real science, if you find out that what you believe is wrong, you're happy about it because you it gets you it. closer to what's right. Although you, one skeptic said, uh, Planck, who was one of the greatest scientists who ever lived, yeah. he said science improves one coffin at a time. Which means what? They kill the people that are right and then... No, 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 no. That is, he said, new ideas are never accepted. The old proponents merely die. Oh, I see what you mean. Because when he first came out with his work, he was vile. He, he, was, he was criticized greatly. Yeah. And it turns out he was one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. That happens a lot. It's still happening now. I mean, with there are things within medicine now with respect to the pandemic that if anybody tries to tell the truth about them, they're censored or killed right away. This is true. I don't know about the killing part, but it is true about the censorship. I know this for a fact. A friend of mine is an MD and a virologist and has tried to speak on this issue. They shut yeah. him down. Yeah. And of course, Facebook and the other censors, YouTube, they shut them down as well. Right. No, a lot of, uh, a lot of, depending on how important the aspect of medicine is to the agenda of the real rulers of the world, it gets more serious. And a lot of the ones that have questioned the validity of vaccines, which have been a fraud from day one completely, a lot of those guys who have mentioned that have been literally killed, hundreds in the U.S. in the last five years. And the press forgot to mention it. I guess the, there's something else that's gone down the toilet tubes. So this is the press, the media. Yeah. The media no longer. A friend of mine sent his daughter to journalism school. Yeah. And what they told her was, what they taught was, you know the truth. Print the truth and suppress the lie. When did she go to school? This was about 10 years ago. Boy, that recent. That's amazing. Okay, I so. think that true journalism is to present both sides of the fight. Well, the other thing that they left out and what they mentioned to her is who defines the truth. Ah, oh, well, of course, you know that best because you're at this school and we'll teach you what is best. 
Right. And when you get out, the five corporations that own virtually all the major media in the U.S. will define that for you. They'll take care of all that problem. You don't need to do any work or anything else. And by the way, none of those five people are controlling that agree with me. Right, right. And um, that's a really strong motivation that you're welcome to to disagree, but you just won't have a job anymore. Right. (laughs) That's right. We don't (laughs) care. But you'll be free to tell the truth. Right. You'll be. It's 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 a real, you know, moral, ethical issue now <clears throat> because, <clears throat> excuse me, the people that won't wear a self-suffocation device, the sim- symbol of submission in the modern medical world, um, they, especially in places where they've already taken away people's firearms, like in Australia and the UK and places like that, the police just start beating up women and children and anybody that, that they're sent to get and uh, that won't wear a mask, for example, or that question the pandemic or that question anything like that. And they start clubbing them or and going to their house at midnight, stuff like that. Those police could say, this is immoral, I'm not going to do it, or unethical. And they have the same issue, you know, that they'd be free to tell the truth forever, except they won't have a job. Exactly. Well, they, they're not free to tell the truth forever. They'd get censored after that. But initially, they'd have the issue that they don't have a job. So one of the most famous commentaries on what happened in Germany in the 30s and early 40s is condemning these horrible people that were just following orders. Well, that's most of the power structure now. Exactly. And you can see why. I mean, they get perks if they do it. And a lot of... By the uh, way, as a student, amateur student of history, I find I now understand the rise of Nazis in Germany in the 30s like I've never understood it before. How? Well, just in terms of people are go along as long as you just don't bother them. Yeah, yeah. They'll let you. They let you run the show as long as you leave a little for them. Right, and there were, you know, I I used to wonder a long time ago with people living in Germany in the thirties, how could they just let all this go on? Well, we're seeing this is what's happening all around us in the world now. This is a worldwide attack. Yep. And people are going along with it, and they're they're enthusiastically going along with it out of fear. And there's, um, you know, I don't think it's just fear of physical force. I think it's fear of realizing the depth of corruption. For instance, with me, I've used to be asked the question, aren't you afraid that someone will harm you? And I've said, no, I'm not. But what I am, what I find interesting is when I grew up as a boy, we were not trained to be sensitive. We were trained to be tough. Now, these right. I realize are primitive concepts in child raising. But as a consequence, when you call me names, I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Whereas other people, you call them names, they break down and cry, literally. Yeah, yeah. And if, and if you, I threaten the neighborhood with, if you do this, I'll besmirch your name. I figure my character is strong enough to stand it, but too many people are like, well, if, if you want me to go along to get along, I'll do that. Right, right. So what does that mean? We're spineless. Problems that we need to solve with courage are not available to us. So it, it's a consciousness issue and a character issue. and That's the way I see it. really is everything, right? Because if your character is true and you get... It, 
I mean, I can't prove this scientifically, but a lot of people have experienced it, that there really is not just belief system, but there is some real essence of, of original being that people call God that is actually real and can be experienced by stages. And I think if people got in touch with that, there's no religion that they would follow to go and, and uh, aggressively hurt anybody else. I don't think those would go together. So the fact that they, they follow these religions, whatever religion tells them to go and murder people outside of the belief system or get offended at things and stuff like that, it just shows that they have religion instead of connection with whatever the reality is inside. And be nice to turn that around before the world self-destructs, hopefully. So... At this point, what are the main activities with all the lockdowns and stuff that you're doing, and what are your projects? Well, I've, I've done so much Zoom work that I bought Zoom stock. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully it's doing really well. It is, because I do interviews now. I, do, I, have, I don't know how many Zoom meetings I've been to. I haven't been on an airplane, and I don't remember when. Yeah. I used to fly all the time. You have an, a new specialty, a doctor of zoomology or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you, you're giving interviews to private media primarily? Yes. Uh, I've done, the last two I've done were with Hindu apostates. That is, they're now Hindus. They used to be apostates from Islam. Oh, they used to be Muslim. Yeah. Yes. And I'm doing an interview uh, and, and, and on Monday with somebody from Sweden. They want to talk about political Islam. Yeah. So I do Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. And that's about okay. what I do. I haven't given a talk to people. I don't remember when that happened. Yeah. I, uh, they're successfully changing society right now. And this is like a, a super religion that uh, there could be a germ on somebody. So you can't ever get close to anybody again. And there could be a germ on surfaces, so you should never touch anything. And, you know, what I've heard is that the current lockdowns that are saving us from the germ and that are only going to be two weeks, but now they're a year, they're going to transition over to lockdowns to save the world from climate change. I've heard this. That's going to take a long time to do, probably forever. So, again, it's like we're being tested with new religions because right now that's – religion of medicalism, I guess, or something like that, that you can't leave. And if anybody's outside of that religion, they have to be attacked. And then there's going to be a religion of save the world from climate change. And any critical thought will be not allowed for that. And these could be responsible. Well, the religion of medicalism in the last year is apparently responsible for 10 million excess uh, starvation deaths so far which are expected to get well it's okay to talk about the germ you didn't get but it's not okay to talk about the education you didn't have and the socialization you didn't have and how your grandmother died you couldn't be by her bedside to comfort her i i think kids are going to be growing up afraid to see somebody's face there's that because their regular face has a thing over it so that everybody looks the same i agree Right. Um, so, if people buy the book, which I did, 
measuring Muhammad, how do they approach that? Do they just read it from front to back or use it as a reference? Well, it's designed to be, it can be read front to back or it can also just be read. It's the perfect John material. You can just open it up anywhere and therefore you, uh, and by the way, let me show people the picture of the cover. Oh, yeah. But this is reversed, isn't it? Ha, ha, ha. No, actually, I can read it just fine. Oh, you can? Yeah. Hopefully. Mine is reversed. But anyway, get them from politicalislam.com. Okay. And uh, this is actually, in some ways, my best book. It's a summary. What I discovered was, this shows you Islam in action. What I discovered was, is that people find Islam so different from their own life and how they were raised to think, that they really don't understand the doctrine when they read it. And so, measuring Muhammad shows you how the doctrine is actually applied. So you can see how it really works. So what's a a typical outline of one of the newsletters in there? Oh, goodness gracious. You'd have to name a subject first. I've written about just about everything you can think of. Okay. um, There are, by the way, three or four long articles, which were interviews that I did, which explain my methods. Okay. Those are what, up front in the book? Yes. Okay. Like, for example, if you're interested in Islam and acceptable food to eat. Well, it turns out I don't discuss food. I'm an omnivore, pretty much, and so I didn't discuss that. If I did discuss it, it would be from the purpose of halal. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. Well, I don't buy halal food, just as a personal statement of... Well, no, but I'm saying in your book, in measuring Muhammad, Muhammad must have some thoughts about it. Well, I don't. He did, but I don't recall. I mean, I wrote this book about two years ago, and only took a little this down to publish it. And quite frankly, Richard, I don't remember all that I put into it. Okay, there's a lot there, I'm sure. But if you wanted to, I do discuss Sharia, and Sharia part of Sharia is halal. Okay, okay, yeah, Sharia is a big subject. Ah, uh, bigger than you realize. I mean, basically, it tells you how to do everything, right? Including how to go to the bathroom. Yeah. How to wipe your backside. Right. How to have sex. Right. Which foot do you enter the bathroom on, Richard? I think oh, I'd fail that test. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Who does? Yeah. But it's part of Sharia. Okay. And just for your information, you need to wipe your backside an odd number of times. Boy. Is there hope for people who find that out now when they're really old already? <laughs> Richard, I'm not sure there's any hope for you and me at all, period. <laughs> I know. I we appreciate your time. Yeah, I know. I know. Pretty much hopeless. So, um, Okay, well, I think people should buy it. I just did, and I'm, I'm starting to read it. And it, it is self-contained, each, each little section. So I'm finding it's true. You can open it up anywhere. You can. And, and I really encourage people to read all your other books. And I'm not being paid to say that. No, really great way of uh, not just getting an outside opinion of Islam, but which would just not really tell you much of anything, but direct connection to all the quotes and sections of all three scriptures. And it's super interesting. And I recommend it for Muslims, too, for sure. I recommend it for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. And it is. What about for the videos that are coming out with your interviews that are pretty frequent now, I guess? Yes. You what? find them on YouTube. I've got a channel, Political Islam. It's still on YouTube? Yes. I haven't been taken off yet, but the hammer's going to drop one day. It just hasn't dropped yet. 
Okay. You, you can also see my videos on my website, politicalislam.com. Okay, and that'll lead to other platforms that yes. you may be on too. Okay, sounds great. Thanks for the time, and um, hold on, we'll say goodbye in the break here. All right. All right, there goes Dr. Bill Warner. Um, really good man, in my opinion. He's done really valuable work. His books are excellent. I haven't read Measuring Muhammad yet, but it's a compilation, which I just found out of all of his newsletters. So I know it'll be good. Extremely educational material. And, you know, at at the end, what I was really talking to him about <clears throat> is what do you want to accomplish? You know, what what's your goal? What's your purpose? And the people who think that his purpose is to criticize Islam are not paying attention. That's not what he's doing at all. You know, if we say that, we're not paying attention either. And um, I've read all of his books, and I haven't found any criticism of Islam. And I've talked to him a lot and haven't heard any criticism of Muslims at all. I know he has good friends that are Muslims, as I do. I don't really care what religion somebody is when they're a friend or or just regardless in my dealing with people. I see everybody as individuals on the spirit level wearing costumes of various kinds, which I think that seems to be what's going on to me. And I think Bill would have a similar attitude in his, you know, we were talking about him being a scientist prior to his doing any religious-related study at all, scriptural study. And he's one of the scientists that understand that science is the attempt to find out what's true, not to defend what you think. Because if you're a scientist, you want to know what's true. And so if you find out what you think is wrong, that's really beneficial. Because it means you can drop that and go one step closer to whatever is actually true. And um, <clears throat> there's no ego involved or anything like that. So I, I think Dr. Warner's vision is with people respecting each other and getting along. And he's not condemning anybody's religion. He's just saying, you know, pay attention, find out what what your religion actually says. Read all the scriptures, <clears throat> break them down, understand them which he's done in a beautiful way with Islam and his books, and realize that the belief system, you know, is not the goal. Knowing yourself, knowing God, knowing where you came from, knowing how to live here in harmony and in a way that you're going to be happy with when you're leaving, those things are important. But if a religion, whatever belief system you're following, says to violate basic laws of nature and mistreat anybody else because they don't think the right thing or stuff like that, you're making a mistake. And all the great spiritual teachers, I'm sure, would agree with that. And Bill is trying to make that more widely known. So I really appreciate his efforts. I think he's doing a great job. Anybody that wants to keep up with him and you uh, see what he's doing and also get on his... um, I guess he calls it a mailing list. He sends out new videos all the time, which are really good updates and news and things like that. There are two websites. One is politicalislam.com, 
dot com spelled out and the other international site is cspii.org cspii.org and keep up with what he's doing and then uh, you know about our Sunday show all the time he's, he's got archives on that that are available free <clears throat> and then our, we have our Saturday show in case you don't know about it which is 4.30 Pacific and six and uh, what is it 7.30 Eastern Time on every Saturday and then Planetary Healing Club for people that want to get more deeply involved in using the things that we talk about to transform the quality of your own life and learn about health uh, protocols that are not supposed to be known anymore and people get violently suppressed at the least if they try to. We talk about those openly on Planetary Healing Club meetings and those are once every week on Saturdays, a half an hour after the Lost Arts Radio live show ends. You're welcome to come there anytime if you want to. PlanetaryHealingClub.com is the access point. What am I forgetting? Uh, support us if you can. We're not running commercials and we're depending on supportive people that have the means to keep us on the air and fund our projects. And that can be done at LostArtsRadio.com at the donate button or LostArtsResearchInstitute.org at the similar donation button or subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio also works. And I think that's about it. We've got a lot of in- interesting information accessible at the main website, lostartsradio.com, and a lot of interesting educational videos and, and articles which are free. So take advantage of that. Let us know what you uh, what your reaction is to the shows or suggestions of guests you think would fit in well. We always like to hear about that. Comments, questions, things like that. And uh, we'll read all of them and I'll respond to as many as possible. I think that's about it. Um, I always forget something that I wanted to share with you, but I think that's most of it. And uh, stay in touch because we'd like to hear from you. And I really appreciate you very much. The main... I think the main message of all these shows is to um, appreciate yourself and and develop the forgotten normal abilities that we have that haven't been active for a long time. And we're aware of what's going on in the world and the coordinated attack against humanity that's under uh, full speed right now and accelerating because they want to finish that before we end up finding out who we are and putting that into use. So take care of yourself. Learn how to get your health back as much as you can and then simultaneously work on the inner work. And we talk about that a lot in Planetary Healing Club meetings, but we'll mention what we can on the uh, on the public shows as well. Really important. You don't need us to do it. Just learn everything you can, get as much of your physical health back, and then get in touch with who you are that has been forgotten a long time ago, and that you're not this helpless and weak and dependent being that needs experts to run your life, as the authorities tell us. In fact, it's just the opposite. You're a spectacular being, and um, really the future is a lot in your hands. So become aware of that. See how you can upgrade what you're doing right now. 
and take care of yourself. It'll help everybody. So thanks for being with us, and we'll look forward to seeing you here again next time. Stay in touch. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows, except the banned ones, are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum, as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. 
Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. Oh. 